In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good, well, it's good afternoon. I was going to say good morning, but I, I missed it by five minutes. Good afternoon, Field Church. How you guys doing? Yeah? Everybody excited? Everybody hungry? We're going to be here a while, so... <laughs> Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name's Chad Wiles. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I oversee our biblical counseling. And this today is our second installment of our biblical counseling series that we'll be addressing different subject matters and different things throughout the year. Every six to eight weeks, we'll be dropping in. Um, About six weeks ago, we did our first series, and we did it on anxiety and fear. If that's something that you'd be interested in hearing, you can go to our podcast, and all of our sermons are there. Um, I recommend the Ruth series as well. Uh, Sam did a great job. And so, so this week, um, it was pretty difficult for me to figure out what to do next, to be quite honest. I, uh, I prayed about, thought about a lot of different subjects. Um, the truth is, there's so many opportunities, there's so many things, there's so many things that I'm helping people work through that it was hard to decide what's, what's the next best thing to do. And as I was thinking through it, praying through it, it was actually my wife, as God typically uses to be the wise one in my life. She said, you know, one thing that we haven't really talked about in full, and you haven't really helped us to see, um, is how the heart functions, how it all works, and the basis by how we work through all these difficulties that we all face. And so I said, you know what, it's, it's really smart. We probably should do that because as we address different things throughout the year and years to come, what we're going to talk about today is the foundation by which we address and approach all subject matters, all things that we struggle with, all temptations are dealt with through the idea of belief. That's why we talked, called today Belief Matters, because our belief matters more than anything else. And that, So today we're going to walk through, we're going to look at <clears throat> how God has designed it, how God's designed our hearts, and then we're going to see how it plays out through Scripture and the story in Matthew 4 of how Jesus faced temptation between him and Satan in the desert, and to see how that function, how temptation, how sin functions, and then how we battle that through belief, and Jesus is our greatest example through all of this. And so, to illustrate just how much belief matters, I had a friend of mine who has, he has a pet snake, no big deal, it's a cobra. And so he's going to bring it up and put it in the middle of the room now for all of us. So he's coming up the aisle behind you all. And <laughs> he's not actually coming, but I like doing that because the look on everyone of y'all's faces was completely different, right? There are some people that this was their, like they're trying to look over their shoulder but not moving. Some people started looking around. I use this example a lot when I do um, counseling with people because everyone feels a certain way about a snake. Right? Just like something like heights or skydiving or anything like that. Everybody, you talk about the, the subject of something like a snake, everyone has a, a belief about that snake. And, then, and so, no matter what, everyone responds differently. And so, I use this to illustrate how come the exact same thing, be it the snake, causes so many different reactions. Some of you were paralyzed in fear and didn't want to look over your shoulder. You should have saw first service. I mean, I thought a couple people were going to actually start running towards the front until I said, I'm just kidding. Nobody's actually behind you. 
Um, some people are looking around like, man, that's cool. Like, I'd like to see that, like, at a safe distance, but, you know, not too, not too scared. Some people may literally have a heart attack, panic attack, and die in that moment, right? So how come, same situation, nothing different, a snake causes so many different reactions? It's because what you believe about that snake. 100%. What you believe is what impacts how you respond to any circumstance or any situation in your life. And so belief matters more than anything else. And today we're going to be looking at and defining what is belief, how does the heart function. I've split up belief in two different categories because often I think we try to put it together and it's not, it's not together. There's two different types of belief that we all walk through and struggle through or, or think through each and every day. The first is theoretical belief. This idea of the theoretical belief. What you, sh what you know should be true and what you wish were true. What you know should be true and what you wish was true. Right? <clears throat> I was counseling a guy a few years back and he was having a lot of struggles and he was thinking through just family dynamics. Comes from a very wealthy family, very good upbringing in all, uh, in all ways that our world would say. Dad was a very uh, successful businessman <clears throat> and his dad's mantra was family first. Like if you met him, nice guys, like man, it's all about family, it's all about family, it's all about family. Yet, in speaking with his son, his dad was hardly around spent very little intentional time with him and his brothers and sisters growing up. Mom and they're divorced. Mom and dad are divorced. Now, do you think it's actually family first? Of course not, right? Now, this man, I think, wanted it to be true about family first. I think in his mind he would say everything he does is for family. But the, the reality is, that's not really what he believed in. It's not really what was first for him, right? And it came out in how he functioned, right? Um, <clears throat> you can see this in many different examples. You could say, you know what? I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a businessman. I'm going to start this business. I got this idea. It's going to be awesome. It's going to make a lot of money. Like, I'm ready for it. But then at nighttime or during the day, you spend a lot of time on social media and watching TV. Do you really? want to be an entrepreneur? Do you really want to be a businessman? Right? It's not going to work. Or if you're the type of person that finds yourself constantly saying like, I'm, I'm actually a pretty nice person. If you're having to say that, the chances are you might not be that nice. <laughs> if you're constantly having to qualify like, I'm really not that bad. I'm really, that, I'm really a pretty nice person. Maybe in your interactions, maybe you're not as nice as you think you are. Right? Or maybe you could say, I really believe that God is completely in control. He's sovereign. He's got my life in his hands. I trust him. But yet struggle with paralyzing anxiety and panic attacks about what tomorrow holds. The two can't quite go together. It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Or I believe in the importance of godly community. I think it's so important to be plugged into a great church and show up to church once a month, never really go to anything like community group or never really hang out with anybody. It can't be both ways. The point I'm trying to get at is theoretical belief is theory without action. It's what you want to be true. It's what you know should be true, but it's not true. 
How do we know this? By how you act. Most things start at the theoretical level. It's not necessarily bad for something to be at the theoretical level because it starts that way. When you see something in your life that knows you need to change or you want to be different, at that moment you're working on creating a habit and really starting to do something. Everything starts at the theoretical level. But practical belief, which is the second category of belief, is what you actually believe. What you truly trust in and it's revealed through your actions. That's practical belief. And how do we know this? What takes belief from theoretical to practical is a key word, trust. What you trust in. All of you today exercise practical belief in many different ways. Two ways I've saw is you trust and believe that a car will take you from your house to here. How do I know that? You got in your car, you started, you drove here. All of you trust that a chair is actually built to hold you up. How do I know this? You all walked in, you sat down in the chair, you didn't even think about it. Because you just, you trust it. You practically believe that's true. What you believe is what you do. 100% of the time, it's the way it works. You can't separate the two. And anything that, when you examine and see your life, if, if what you do doesn't line up with what you say you believe, it's not really what you believe. It just functions that way. It's the way God's designed it. It's the way he's created it. What you believe is what you do. And we, our actions reveal our true belief because it's the outworking of the heart biblically, the way God's designed it. And we're going to look at that right now as we walk through and define even deeper. Okay, let's say you, you're, you're riding with me so far. I'm with you. Okay, I believe that. So how do we know that this is true? Well, first and foremost, every heart is a worshiping heart. Every heart is a worshiping heart. All creation is created to worship God. How do we know this? Greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Period. Greatest commandment. We see that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest one? That's it. That's what you're created to do. That's what we're meant to do. So what is worship? Because we can throw that word around in Christian circles and and I'm not unaware that many of us don't even really know what that word really means. I was one of those guys. Um, when I came to know the Lord and as a college student, if you throw around words like worship, I'm like, sure. That's when you sing some songs, right? That's when you pray, right? Now, here's what worship is. Worship is anything that you seek. Seek out for hope. Seek for your trust. Seek for your approval. Seek seek to find joy anything you seek anything you serve anything you spend your time on anything you give your give your life away to anything you sacrifice for whether it be money or time whatever the case may be anything you spend your time and money on i've heard it put before i can show you what you believe you just show me your bank account because what we spend our money on, we, we put that in. It's what we, we worship. Anything you speak about, when you're not prompted, when you're not in settings where you know you're supposed to be a certain way, but what, what do you talk about most? What's most on your mind? What's most coming out of your mouth? The Bible tells us out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Or what you trust in. To sum it up in, in a word, is anything that you treasure. We use that word a lot because all we're doing is trying to explain worship. That's what worship is. Now, 
God is the one who's meant to be in that place. And anything that takes the place of God is called an idol. When the Bible talks about idolatry, it's easy to think Old Testament, some sort of pole or some sort of fake golden calf thing. And in those days, that's what it was. But nowadays, it, it can mean anything. It can mean, it can mean a relationship. It can mean a job. It can mean a family member. It can mean, I mean, you fill in the blank. Anything that we consistently make equal to or more important than God in our attention, desire, devotion, and choices. I'll say it again. Anything that we consistently make equal to or more important than God in our attention, desire, devotion, and choices is an idol. All idols are objects of our lusts, and it's there to assist us in worshiping ourselves. Our real issue is a worship of ourself over God. At the bottom of it all, idols are just there to be things created to make us God. You look in, you look in Genesis chapter 3, that's what tempted Adam and Eve to eat the apple. Was God didn't actually say that. He doesn't want you to be equal to him. And that temptation of I want to be like God is what started it all. And we still struggle with that same temptation today. Don't get it twisted. It's easy to complicate things and, and cover things up and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself through idols. 100%. We want to be God. And the heart is the real you. It's the real me. It's what makes up our character. It's what makes up who we are. The rest is just flesh and bones. It's all spiritual. Sure, our bodies. If we don't treat them well or get diseases, it impacts us emotionally. It can impact us for sure. And we take that into account. But the heart is the real you. That's who you are. That's your character. How do we know this? God shows us. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we see here where God has sent Samuel to anoint the new king, David. Saul, the first king, <clears throat> had decided not to follow God, decided to do his own thing. And so God had taken him out, had taken his anointing off him, and now is bringing about a new king in David. And so Jesse, who was the father of David, had many other sons. When Samuel comes to his house, both Jesse and Samuel thought, one of these brothers must be the king. They're big, they're strong, they're strapping, they're warriors. They've been, they've been through the ringer. Like, these guys look like kings. Here's what God says. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart what matters to God your heart that's what matters because that's what creates worship that's where you worship God that's who you are that's your character Proverbs 4:23 keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. That's where life comes from. Or death. That we'll get into. So let's go a little bit deeper. And let's really understand, okay, if that's true, if the heart's what matters most, if that's who I really am, how does it function? It functions in three different categories. Category one, our cognition. 
It's a fancy way to say our thoughts and beliefs. Our thoughts and beliefs. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, it, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? Renewal of your mind. Not of your emotions, not of your feelings, your mind. Ephesians 4.23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. From this area, belief, from cognition, your thoughts and your beliefs, is where everything comes out of and it always goes back to. This is the area. That's why God says, battle it in the mind. Renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind. And what's true? We see number two, so our cognition and our affections. The Bible talks about our affections. These are our desires, our emotions, our motives. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask your passions now these do not happen on an island your emotions your desires your passions do not happen apart from your beliefs they happen because of them even if you can't see it if you have you ever driven from your house to your job over and over and over and over to where like sometimes you drive home and you're like I don't even remember driving kind of freaky <laughs> like did I run over someone did it, what happened? Did I run a red light? I don't even remember leaving my job and getting home. All I know is I'm here. Apparently everything went fine, right? Now you're not asleep at the wheel. You're probably thinking about something else and you're just doing it out of habit because you've done it so many times. Well, that's the same way with our beliefs. There's some beliefs from our, maybe our childhood or experiences or things that we want and things that we desire. We've thought about so many times and now they happen in a split second and we don't even realize it. All we see is emotions, desires. That's what flares up in our face, what we notice first. But they don't happen on an island. They're not by themselves. It's important to know that. Because many of us, including myself, can sometimes feel a victim to our feelings and our desires and our emotions. I don't know why I feel that way. I just, I just do. And let me just help you. It's not true that you're not a part of that. It may be difficult. The working out of that may be hard. But they do not happen apart from your beliefs. They never do. And so it's important to examine our emotions. It's important to know what's going on and to see what's happening, right? Section three is our volition. Our volition, which is our will, our choices into action. This is where Jesus tells us in Luke, 645 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks out of the heart comes action every single time what you believe is what you do every time what you believe is what you do how you feel is what you believe every time and that helps us that's a good news because now we actually have a way to go about finding freedom and hope. And we're going to talk about that today as we get into our passage. But I want to harken back quickly before we end 
some of this instruction of the heart. You remember the businessman in our theoretical belief example. What would that look like if he actually practically believed what he said? He would work hard, no doubt, but he would schedule time to be with his family. He would make intentional time to be with his kids. He would take his wife out on dates. He might still work 60, 70 hours a week. Hard work is not the sin, it's the priorities and the intentionality. Because you always do what you want to do. Always. And so we're going to look at how this plays out. How does Jesus show us to battle ourselves, to battle our flesh, to battle our temptation? We're going to be looking at Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and give you a chance to get there as I set the scene. So in this scene, we're, we're having this cosmic battle, this cage match, if you will, that if we were to sell tickets, would sell more than any other event in history. Because there's a lot at stake. One, Jesus is coming to redeem what old redeemers couldn't do. This is hearkening back to Israelites in the desert 40 years and, and Moses trying to lead them through. And we see Jesus a lot of times using the same quote, quotes from Deuteronomy where Moses first showed us and he's, he's showing that he is the actual redeemer. He's also battling to be this perfect sinless sacrifice and if he uses his godliness even a little bit he's failed because he has to live a perfect human life. He has to battle this as we battle this. He has to live a perfect sinless life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be atoned for. There's a lot at stake, and there's a lot at stake for Satan. If he can trip him up, oh man. Because Satan already knows the end of the story. He doesn't win. <laughs> it's bad news for Satan, right? So he's, he's got a lot at stake. He's trying so much to tempt and disqualify Jesus as our Savior. And that's what we're about to read into. And so we see as we go. So I'm going to pray. Ask the Lord to bless our time as we look through his word. And then we're going to read and just walk through this passage. And I hope that God really uses it to help us in our own lives, in our own walks. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we get these opportunities to look at your word. And that no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard it feels, you are constantly there and you're the one who's went before us. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a great high priest in Jesus who went through all temptation and, and battled it and understands us and is near to us, and we get to see that today. And God, I pray for each person in this room that however you need to speak to them, that your spirit would, and that your word would speak for itself in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we see this battle. Satan takes three shots. Point number one, we see that Satan challenges your beliefs through your affections. Satan challenges your beliefs through your affections. Look what he says to Jesus. If you are the Son of God. Just think of how he phrases that. If you are the Son of God. We see in this, in this entitlement. Show me. If you're the Son of God. Show me your power. Show me who you are. Hey, you're hungry. Right? Like, you, you fasted 40 days. You, you fasted a long time. Like, hey, you, you, you deserve this. Go ahead. You're, you're the Son of God. Just make them, make them bread. Do it. We see the lust of the flesh. We see these things, right? That we're, we're, Satan is trying to trip him up, and he's hitting on these little things in his human form. You're entitled. You should. We go through the same things, right? You know what? Like, you've worked hard. Like, you deserve to buy that, that boat or that extra car or that fill in the blank. Yeah, I know that you don't really have the money for it, but you work hard. You know what? Like, you deserve to be happy. You don't need a spouse that, I mean, it shouldn't be this hard to, like, be in a loving marriage, right? That coworker, man, they, they seem to really get you. You deserve it. Everyone deserves to be in love, right? You understand how this comes about? These little things. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be fill in the blank. Satan often uses this to tempt us. I used this example in the first service to show my own cards. It's sad, really, but maybe we can relate to one another. So a lot of times as a staff, we, we fast and pray. We, we try to do it a lot. And I don't tell this to get pats on the back. I'm telling this to tell the other side of the story. Because we care about you all. We care about this church. We know that nothing happens without God. And we want God to bless it. We want God to be in your all's lives. We want God to work through your hearts. We want him to work through our hearts. It's very important to us. And so the Bible tells us to fast and pray. And so we do. And there was one day I was like, man, I want to do it 24 hours. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it to the limits. About halfway through that day, I started planning what I was going to eat at the stroke of midnight. Right? Now, that doesn't sound that bad, but the heart problem was I was starting to, like, I wasn't really praying and, like, allowing those hunger pains to help me cry out to the Lord. I was more just getting through so I could get to that meal, right? Like, and little ideas like, you deserve this. You've, you've worked so, you know, you've done this all day, like, man. I went so far as like, I went and bought like frozen pizzas, chicken wings, like man, I was, I was staying up instead of going to bed. Like I'm eating tonight and I've, I've earned this meal. 
and I ended up, you know, eating all of it and making myself sick and everything else, right? But the worst part is the conviction of like, man, my heart in all that was to serve me. I felt in this moment, like I could relate to what, Jesus, what Satan's trying to do with Jesus is, hey, you're doing a good thing. Like, hey, you've, you've went this far. Like, okay, we get it. Just go ahead and eat. But what Jesus responds with is, man, God's worth more than that. Even if I were to die from hunger, God's worth more. Because man doesn't live on bread alone. But every word that comes out of the mouth of God, like that is worth it. He battles it with truth. So my question for us, before we move to the next one is, how often are you ruled by your affections? You don't have to answer it to me. You don't have to come tell me. You don't have to tell your neighbor. It's between you and God. How often are you ruled by your affections, your entitlement, your passions, your desires, your logic, your needs and wants? How often are the decisions that you make driven by those instead of what's right, what's holy, what's worshiping God? Those are tough questions, but they lead to hope. So the first thing we saw was Satan challenges your beliefs through your affections. Number two, Satan challenges your beliefs through your identity. Here's what we see, picking back up in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's what Satan's trying to say. Who are you? Like, if you're the Son of God, see if God cares for you. Throw yourself down. Says that they'll, they won't let you come to harm, right? Prove it. Prove it. Prove you're good enough. How often do we ask those questions? Am I good enough? Does anybody care about me? Do I matter? Do I make a difference? Right? Oftentimes, our temptation is challenging our worth. And we're finding our worth and hope in idolatry and not God. And Satan drums back up past mistakes. Things we've done. Shame, guilt. And we're often ruled by it. Because, like, does God really care about me? Is he, is he, am I really his child? Like, I've done a lot of stuff. I've made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I know it's true for, it's not what his word says, but I'm not really sure that's true about me. And Satan uses that. And my question for you is, where does your worth come from? Where do you find your hope and identity? Are you trying to find it from somewhere else other than God? From someone? From something? From a success? Because here's what I want to tell you. That will destroy your life. And it may already be destroying your life. Because the thing about idols is they promise everything and they take away everything. They promise everything and they take away everything. 
If I can just get more of that, if I can just be successful enough, if I can just, then I will feel worth it. Then I will feel that I'm good. Then I will. And how many times you got to go down that road before you've lost your family, your friends, your hope? If that was true, if that was true, how come so many successful business people and celebrities commit suicide every year? If success is good enough, if adoration is good enough, if, if being something to someone was good enough, go down, like why, if riches were good enough, if money was good enough, why? Why wouldn't they get all those things that all of us dream of having that think that it'll fix everything, end it? Have you ever thought of that? It's because it's not. It's because it's not. It's enslaving. It takes away everything. And when your identity is in something other than who God says you are, it will destroy you 100% of the time. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your friendships. It'll make you ineffective for the kingdom. It'll destroy your joy. Down the list. And I hope you'll listen and not test me on it. Please don't because it's not worth it. Where does your identity come from? Where does your worth come from? So we see Satan challenges your beliefs through your affections. Satan also challenges your beliefs through your identity. And Satan challenges your beliefs in order to take your worship. He wants it. What does he do to, to Jesus next? Again, the devil, starting in verse 8, again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan wants your worship. He wants you to worship anything other than God. He's begging you to because he wins. He, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life and it will. Every single time, it will. As we said, idols lie. They promise everything and they take away everything. What do you worship? What do you seek? What do you serve? What do you spend your time on, your money on? What do you trust? What do you hope in? The answer to this question matters because there's a lot more at stake than your happiness. Your heart's at stake. Your soul's at stake. God's worship is at stake. He deserves it. You are not meant to be worshipped. You're not good enough to be worshipped. And here's the reason why temptation works so well. It's because there's a little bit of truth in all of it. It's true that you're not good enough. It's true that you're not worthy. It's true that you've made a lot of mistakes. It's true that you've probably made a lot that have made lasting impact on other people. All those things are true. And he came to forgive you for all of it. It's true. And the freedom comes when we lean into the truth and we repent and we accept the grace that he gives us. You're never going to earn your way past feeling bad. It's not going to happen. And that's a trick. It's deceitful. So what do you worship? What idols do you have? 
and I implore you to destroy them. Break them down. Burn them. Before they destroy you. Number four, maybe the most important point of all of it, is we must battle every temptation through believing what is true. We must battle every temptation through believing what is true. We see Jesus do it over and over. Verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Again, as written to you in, in verse 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What you believe matters. It matters more than you even know. It's the most important thing that you could think about. It's the most important thing that you can focus on. Don't accept how you feel or what you desire. Don't accept it. Don't listen to your pride. Don't do it. Your feelings and desires are meant to be examined through the truth of God's Word. They do not rule you. They are not in control of you. Examine them. Ask questions. Don't accept how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you desire. It doesn't matter what you want. All that matters is what does God say? What does He want? Because in that is where freedom lies. And if you believe that your thoughts and feelings are what matter most, you are deceived and you will be destroyed. Don't do it. Please. Think about what's true. We are a part of the redemptive plan and Satan wants to destroy it. He wants nothing more than to crush you and to stop what God's trying to do. He wants to make you ineffective for your life and for the kingdom. But Christ came to restore you back into a relationship with God. Christ came to give you a new identity and a new hope. And Ephesians 4 that we talked about earlier tells us to put off the old, to repent of the things that this world has to say and renew our minds in the gospel, in what's true, and put on, act on what is true, and our affections and our feelings will follow. And so I want to leave us as we close today with an identity passage. I want to help you by giving you a new identity today so you can see what, it, what is actually true about those who follow Christ. And for those of you that maybe this isn't your story, it can be. This can be true. Ephesians 1, verse 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan of fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's about God. He set these things before you. He redeemed you. He gave you a new identity. He paid for your sin through His blood. You didn't want it. You can't earn it. And just lean into it. That's, that's grace. That's grace. That's why it's important and it's why it's good to follow Him. So I'll tell you again, belief matters. 
It matters more than anything else in this world. So what do you believe? What do you believe? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that anything that I have said that's of my own thoughts, logic, would be forgotten. And I pray whatever your spirit is moving in, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever brings you glory would be remembered. And I pray that you would bring repentance, hope, and freedom through the name of Jesus. Amen.